assured in is that nothing ever catches you off guard. You are king. You reign over all this creation. Everything was created through you and for you. And all of it is meant to point back to you. And so, Father, as we all come in here from all of our various backgrounds and all the things that have happened this week, the things that may be weighing heavy on our shoulders, we come to hand the burdens that we have been carrying and give them to your capable hands. Guys, I don't know about you, but I feel like we just need to have a moment of silence. Even the music, if that can just stop for a moment. Now that September's hit, Life is so busy in my family, more so than it has been all summer long. And I have a feeling it's probably extra busy in yours too. And one of the best gifts that I can get, though uncomfortable at first, is just a moment where we can just be still and notice what comes to your mind in that moment of stillness. If there are certain relationships that are bothering you, situations that feel out of your control, things that feel overwhelming, Just quietly speak those just between you and God. Just give those to Him in this moment of silence. So let's just take a moment together just to be still, to be quiet. Jesus, you said that we can take your kind of burden upon our shoulders. You use the word your yoke. It's light and easy. And when we come to you, you give rest to our souls. So many of us are running out ahead of our own souls. We're so distracted by all the things going on. We have so much on our minds that we have not even taken the time to pay attention to the most important part of us. And that's the our very souls created to be in union with you. So Father, I pray that as your spirit is here, that you will just settle your peace which surpasses all understanding upon our hearts, our minds, and even our physical bodies. That we might know you, not just in our minds, but experience your goodness among us. Thank you that though we come to worship and sing to you, whenever we are with you, you always (laughs) pour yourself out upon us. That's what grace does. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. 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 Tell somebody beside you, God is good. Say, His burden is light. You guys don't believe that. Say it again. His burden is light. All right, excellent, excellent. Well, good morning, everybody. This is the first Sunday that we get to kick off a brand new series. I'm always excited on first series day. Um, brand new sermon series called We Are the Church, uh, which, again, like I said last week, this, this name of this series is not saying that Trinity is the only church, right? But it, what it's saying is even though we as a church meet in a building, the church is not a building. 
Even though we as a church have programs and 501c3 nonprofit status, we're not really those things either, at least not primarily. That the church is the collective people of God gathering together, right? Now, to, to meet with God, to grow with one another, and to determine how, God, have you called us to live, right? That is the big part of what the church is. But we're going to unpack what that means. And, and what is it that Jesus, as the head over the church, wants for us, his people, together? And this is going to have tremendous implications, not just on Sundays or at small group time or at Bible study time, but this is how we are called to be all the time. And so how do we understand that? And how can we more deeply ingrain that within us? That's the goal of the, of the next few weeks, looking at we are the church. Trust me. I believe it's going, to be, it's going to be a very formative time for all of us. But before we actually get into all of this, I want to play a little game or experiment with you guys. Is that okay? You're like, I don't trust you. I don't know. Or just trust me. It's easy. It's easy. It's not scary. But uh, it is, the, the whole idea is I'm going to say a word or two. And then I simply want you to either write down or tell somebody beside you whatever word or phrase or picture comes to your mind. All right? I'm going to say a word or two, and then you tell somebody beside you, write down the first thing that comes to your mind when I do. You got it? Got it? We're going to do a warm-up. We're going to do a warm-up, because I know what the answer to this first one's going to be. Ready? First word. Tom Brady. All right, I heard some goat in there. I figured that'd be the only one people said. Um, all right, good. So you got the idea? Easy, right? Getting a little more serious now. What's the next word? Christian. First word that comes to mind. What is it? Again, there's no right or wrong answers here. There's no grading. Let me just make that clear. All right, and this is not a psychological trick. All right? Second or third word, church. First word, phrase comes to mind. Some of you are like, uh-oh, you're getting into my baggage now. You're getting into it. Okay? All right. Now, these first three were a bit of a warm-up just to get you used to it. But the one I'm most interested in that I really want you to think about, or at least the first thing that comes to mind, is this last word. Evangelical. Evangelical. What's the first word or phrase that comes to mind? All right. And the reason why I bring this word up is because this word evangelical is a part of the name of this church, right? Trinity Evangelical Church. But I've done a little experiment this past week of my own. And I went around the church, and I wish I had a video camera with me, but then I'd have to edit the video and all that sort of stuff. So I went around the church, though, and asked people both within the church and a few people who didn't go to this church, what does evangelical mean? And I made sure they knew. There's no wrong answer. I just want to know what you understand this word to mean. And internally, I got some answers like, uh, you know, the, 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 care about the Bible. They want to share their faith, the denomination, that kind of thing. Outside, people who didn't go to this church, this <laughs> poor guy. I asked this one guy, I said, what does evangelical mean? He's like, dude, I'm just here to the church to collect the linens. Like, I, I didn't come in here for this. And he's like, I don't know. I don't know. I said, no, come on. It's okay. No, I don't know. He says, I feel like I'm being put on the spot. I'm like, it's okay. Let me walk you down the hall and make sure you know that I'm not creepy. Right? Like, 
But then I asked another guy, I said, what does it mean? He said, I don't know, angels? I said, well, that's in there. That is, right? Like, but it proved to me that there are so many people in our society that have no clue what this means, and it's a part of the name of our church. And so I'm curious for you guys, right? Again, no right or wrong answers. We just want to understand, because we're going to talk about this today. But what, when I said the word evangelical, how many of you had like a church-related answer to that? Either church, Christian, Bible, sharing your faith, contemporary worship, something like that. How many of you had an answer kind of like that? Right on, cool. How many of you had maybe a face or a name of someone famous, like Billy Graham, or maybe a famous person who associated themselves with evangelical? Anybody? Anybody? All right, cool. We had a few of those. Now, how many of you, because, you know, this time of year, as we're starting into an election cycle, Fox News, CNN talk a lot about the evangelical vote, right? How many of you maybe had a politically associated word or phrase in your mind when you heard this word? All right, cool. Yeah, so there are a few of you that as well. Now, how many of you, are there any other responses that I missed? Just a little crowd participation feedback here. Any other responses that I missed? Not a clue. Disciple. Inclusive. Servant. Yeah, these are great. These are great. Now, I, I, I do want to say, though, it's okay to admit if you don't know. Because like I said, this is most people, I believe, in our society, have no clue what this word means means. Um, and there's all sorts of uh, various understandings. Now, my, my primary concern uh, is not so much to defend the word evangelical or, or to somehow make a case for why we should just understand. I, my main concern today is that we understand the heart behind what this word means. Because my guess is for a lot of us in here, you probably don't this word, what is an evangelical, may not keep you up at night. <laughs> you come to Trinity because, hey, they preach the Bible, they talk about Jesus, it's a place where I can belong, it's a place where my family and I can grow, right? I mean, that's more of why we come. And so somebody's somebody like, does it really matter what evangelical means? But what I want to say is, when you tell people where you go to church, and say, I go to Trinity Evangelical Church, and they follow up by saying, what does evangelical mean? Do we have an answer to give them? Or maybe some of you, you're already thinking ahead, and you're like, what church do you go to? Trinity. <laughs> you conveniently avoid that, right? For others of you who are new, or maybe you're just checking out Trinity for the first time, our name is Trinity Evangelical Church. Do you know what you're getting yourself into today? <laughs> do, do you know what we really care about? And so it's important that we at least take time at the beginning of this We Are the Church series to define what does evangelical mean? But more so, what is the heart or the passion behind it? In order to show where we get this, where we ground it, we're going to go back way before evangelical was even a word used. All the way to a letter that Paul was writing to the Roman Christians. We're going to be in Romans chapter 1. If you want to turn there with me, strongly encourage it. Um, so you can see it for yourself. Romans chapter 1, it's going to be on the screen as well. Verses 16 and 17. Just two verses, Romans chapter 1. If you're looking for Romans in a Bible, um, it's in the New Testament, so further toward the back. It comes after the book of Acts and before First and Second Corinthians. And we're going to be in the very first chapter. 
starting at verse 16. And before we actually read these verses, can we pray? I think sometimes praying before we read allows us to hear it a little better. So, Father God, as we come together around your word today, your people, we want to be instructed by it. We want to be edified by it. We want to be challenged by it. We want you to do and say whatever it is that you want in our hearts and our minds. So we open our hands to you. Say, take our mindsets, take what we understand, take what we don't understand, and deepen us within you and your truth and in who you are. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said... Amen. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Follow with me. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith faith. These two verses get at the true heart of what drives us as those who claim to be evangelicals. Now Paul is saying right here, as clearly as possible, that he is confidently and unapologetically centered and grounded and motivated by this message he calls the gospel. Now, the word, the original word he uses for gospel in this verse is a Greek word, euangelion. That same word is where we derive the word evangelical. If we get that up on the screen, euangelion. It's exactly where we get it. Before, evangelical was associated with big names like Billy Graham. Before, evangelical was stamped on the sign out front. Before... It took on any cultural or sociological meanings, both fortunately or unfortunately, right? Before it took on anything else, the primary motive, the primary concern for an evangelical, someone who calls themselves that, is to proclaim and to be shaped by this message called the gospel of Jesus. Now, just to give you a very brief history on this. This word began to pick up prominence. Evangelical picked up prominence, uh, started in about the 16th century, around the time that there were Protestant reformers who recognized how much Christianity across the world had become this institutionalized, political, uh, overcomplicated system of religion. And they say, we want to get back to who Jesus is, who we are in him, and the gospel that Paul talks about right here. There's this Harvard history and religion professor named Catherine Breckis who said, The word evangelical itself is not new. And its roots stretch back to the Greek evangelion, meaning gospel. The 16th century Protestant reformers used evangelical to emphasize the reliance on the gospel message they found in Scripture. So I, I want us to understand, when we say evangelical, this is not a word that describes a denomination. Right? Denominations are Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, those types. Evangelical more describes our passion than our denomination. Evangelical, keyword here, is more of a movement, not a denomination. A movement of people gathered together around this gospel message. 
It describes our identity as followers of Christ. Not anything else. And before I keep going, let me unpack, though, what I believe Paul and the Bible mean by euangelion or the gospel. All right? Is that cool with us? And listen, no matter if you've been coming to church for a long time, I want you to lean forward here. Because it's amazing how I've been looking at this this week. I'm like, oh, it's so good. This message really is so good. How many times do I look at it daily? Is it so good? All right. The gospel begins with a God who is so good. Holy, perfect, pure love in all his ways. And he created the world. And he created humanity in particular to live in a just, harmonious relationship of love with him. That's his original design. But human beings were arrogant. And they began to trust that maybe their way was better than their creator's way that he lined up for them. So in some ways, humanity staged a coup against God himself. And they said, you know what? We're good. We can find out the truth and freedom outside of you. And thus, in the face of a just, loving, good God, human arrogance and pride and selfishness were now introduced to the picture when the world was righteous and just and holy and good, now introduced into the world unrighteousness, injustice, the lack of love, hate came into the world. And that's when we started seeing human beings doing things like gossiping to make themselves look good. Lying to try to cover up the real truth. Hurting others. Seek using or manipulating people for personal benefit. That's when that came into the midst of God's world. We, as human beings, have committed crimes against our good, holy God. Now, in a just society, what happens when someone commits a crime? They are put on trial, and they are held accountable for that action, aren't they? We would expect that. And when that doesn't happen, we protest. Well, there will come a day when each of us must stand before our God and judge and give an account of our lives. But... The hard part about that news, the difficult part about that news is that it doesn't matter how many times we've paid it forward. It doesn't matter how many times we've done good deeds. We cannot undo the selfish acts that we've already done that were against the character of our God. And so the question is, what would justice require for us who have sinned against a holy God? What does justice require when we, we commit crimes against one another or this government? Now take that into account. Now blow that up and say what must it require if we commit a crime against the holy God of the universe who created us? And scripture says sin for justice to be paid. Sin deserves that blood be spilled. That a life be given. And that humanity be eternally punished, separated from God forever. Now that's a hard word. That's the bad news. 
But we're calling this good news, right? Because after all, God, despite our injustice against him, he found a way in his love to show himself both merciful to us as human beings while also maintaining his justice. How in the world does he do that? And that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to be born into this world. And then he would take on human flesh. He would live a perfectly righteous, just life before his father. Yet he would go before that cross and give his very life. Why? Because in giving his life, he steps in our place and says, I will take the punishment that they deserve upon myself. That all who believe or trust or have faith in him and what he's done on our behalf, we might be saved from the eternal consequence that we deserve. Do you see that? I want us to see the beauty of this thing. The genius of this thing. That our God maintained his justice and that sin deserved to be punished. But for all those who believe, because of what his son did, he cancels the, the record of debt we have against him. So he is both, as Paul says, just and the justifier of those who believe. Come on, somebody. Like that is the good news. And based on his sacrifice, Paul says, both Jew and Gentile, all human beings who believe may be declared righteous, not because of what we have earned, but because God says, I am now declaring what Christ's righteousness, I'm now counting toward you. It is based on his work alone. And so that's why we say this gospel is, is that Christ lived, he died. Three days later, he rose again. In his death, he paid the penalty of our sin. Three days later, he rose again so that we might have new eternal life with him, not just when we biologically die, but starting now, the moment we believe by faith that his spirit dwells within us. This is the good news. This is the gospel, the euangelion, that God gave himself his righteous life for us. And the reason why the gospel is at the core of all that we are and do is because it alone shows us the way to salvation. It alone uncovers the power of God to transform a sinful life a selfish heart to become like Jesus. You guys tracking with me? If we understand nothing else I say today, let's at least get that. And if you're somebody, you've never actually made a decision to follow Christ. If you've never placed your faith in Him, you don't have to go through rituals. You don't have to keep coming to church all year to earn it. You can simply give your life to Him today and place your faith and trust in Him today. But for us as a church, as we think about, okay, so evangelical means that we are a people rooted, grounded. At our core is this message, the gospel. This defines who we are and what we are becoming. What, what core convictions would we naturally hold as a church if the gospel is at our core? All right? What, what, if, if the gospel makes a big splash into the middle of this community, what are the natural ripple effects that are going to mark out who we are? Right? Because if the gospel is at our center, we're going to have natural core convictions. Now, I'm going to share 
four main convictions of what an evangelical holds. All right, based on the gospel, four main convictions. And I've modified these a bit from a, a British man called David Bebbington. Everybody say Bebbington. That was nice, wasn't it? Isn't that a great British name? Bebbington. David Bebbington in 1989 um, came up with what he calls the four, uh, four main pillars of evangelicalism that come out uh, from our conviction as to what the gospel is. And so I want to I lay those out for us a bit. And see, first, for any, any essential, and essential for any gospel-centered person, is that we would seek to guard the message of the gospel. That's kind of given, right? That we understand we are not the ones who created this message. We're not the ones who uh, get to modify that message. We are simply people, we are messengers trying to declare this message in various ways so that people might be able to come to know Him. This is the reason why every Sunday when you come here, we, we bring up the cross, we bring up the resurrection, we bring that up every chance we get. Because it forms the center of who we are and we can easily forget that and get focused on things that aren't truly there. Or if we, we hear something that's, that's it's a contradiction, an idea that's preached or taught here that's a contradiction to this message, I'm sorry, that's not who we are. And we have to, we have to say, all right, no, 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 come back. Come back to the center. That's part of what it means to be a church centered around the gospel. Otherwise, that message loses its power. The power is not in our ability to create the message. The power is in that this is from God and this is who He is, right? Second, if the gospel's at our core, we're always going to uphold the authority of the Bible as God's word. We're going to uphold the source of that message. From the very beginning, Genesis, all the way to the Revelation of John, written around 90 A.D., this, 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 this Bible, this Word of God given to us, was written over hundreds, thousands of years by many different authors from many different cultures, all of them telling the story of God being the one who created, we fell, He is saving, redeeming, and one day He's going to make it all right again. The whole story of his word is the gospel message. It all finds itself and roots itself here. And so we as a church recognize its authority over us. His self, this is God revealing, uncovering himself for us to know who he is. And it's our job to, unpopular word, submit to what he has called us to be. In his word. That's why we make a big deal about preaching from it every Sunday. That's why we, we encourage people to get involved in small groups, Bible studies, where you dig into it yourself. Because it's so important that we understand it, not just together, but individually. And you know what truth is? We may, as a church, come to places, and we do, we disagree on how to interpret parts of it. But if we're all together holding it up as our authority then we, we can be unified together still. And we can come together in a spirit of love and humility under it seeking what God says together. Right? Third, so we talk about guarding the message, guarding the source of that message. Last, we know that that gospel is going to lead to a new life. Paul said, Therefore, if anyone is if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. 
The amazing thing about this is that when we belong to Christ, we're not just declared righteous. We don't just get a, all right, I'll just hold out in my bunker until I get to eternity. No, new life starts now. And when Christ comes and transforms our hearts, declares us right with Him, He gives us His Holy Spirit, He starts changing what we desire, what we love, what we care about. Not all right at once, but over time He begins a process of allowing the gospel to shape us. The gospel is not Christianity 101. It's not like you get it in the beginning and now you're good. Like It is something that we consistently remind ourselves of because it reminds us of the new life that we're called to live in Him. You're tracking with me. Tracking with me. And because of that, when you come to Christ, when you give your life to Him, those around you should expect to see a difference beginning to grow in your life. Right? That's part of who He is. As He's making us to be like Jesus in the end. Fourth and last. For an evangelical, we also, if this message is good then we do have a responsibility to both live it and share it. When you have a really good meal, when you've watched a really good game, what do you do with no one even telling you to do it? You talk about it. You take pictures of it. You put it on Instagram, right? Like, like you, you, you share the news. But the natural part of who we are as, a, as, as followers of Christ is, man, with good news comes a responsibility that we would share it. And that we would also live it in the way that we treat one another. Understanding that as we have been forgiven, so do we forgive. As we have been called in from the outside in, so do we seek to reach out to those who are marginalized. So do we seek to give everyone. We are all equal at the foot of the cross because of the grace of God alone. That should shape how we treat one another, right? And that's part of the responsibility that comes with that message. And so if the gospel is at our core, we guard that message under the authority of Scripture, seeking to live differently, to be like Jesus by His Spirit, with the responsibility to share it. And if you have any questions about these four things, I strongly encourage you to consider coming to Alpha next week. Alpha, we talk about every single one of these questions or issues starting next Sunday at 5 p.m. You don't have to know what you believe before you come to Alpha. You just got to bring questions. Right? And so that we can have somewhat of a discussion about these. But these are the core. And with these convictions shaping us, how do we maintain this message at our center? Folks, how many times have we seen churches, followers of Christ, I'm not calling ourselves better than anybody, but how many times have we seen churches committed to Jesus but at some point tend to either die or just not look any different than anybody else. And these, I want to describe two potential ditches that we can easily fall into as a church if we're not careful. They can actually lead us to center ourselves on something other than who Jesus is. And the first ditch... It's very easy for churches to start honoring their traditions over the message. Their methods over their methods or their programs or whatever it might be, their building over the gospel message. There's a Danish philosopher uh, named Soren Kierkegaard who tells this great story of a thief. 
who breaks into this jewelry shop at night. The thief goes in, but he doesn't steal anything, oddly enough. Instead, the thief goes into the jewelry shop and switches all the price tags around so that the, 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 the most valuable things appear less valuable, and the less valuable things now appear more valuable. You guys see where I'm going with this? It's very easy for us as a church to become so hands-on about our programs and our methods and the ways that we do things that we don't even realize how sometimes we have switched the price tag as to what really matters. Because if we care more about our traditions or our methods more than allowing people to come to know who Jesus is, and allowing that message to continue to spread, we're no longer evangelical. We've actually become centered on something else. That's the first ditch. The second ditch, though, is when we start, instead of speaking to the culture around us and remaining distinct, we just become like the culture around us. And I see how this happens so easily. Right? In Paul's day, this message of the cross was, was, was offensive. Right? A Roman cross was for the weak, for the criminals. Why are we worshiping a man who died on that? For the Greeks, it's foolishness. For our society, it's too exclusive. It's too offensive. It's like, how dare you say this is the only way that anyone is saved in Christ? How dare you say that? And though initially we're like, oh man, we start questioning or doubting and saying, I don't know. Maybe they're right. When we get those barrage of messages, and before you know it, we start compromising, and, and then we start watering down that message. Or we start interpreting the Bible in the way we wish it were interpreted, instead of actually trying to understand what it says. We start saying, yeah, like, like what's the big deal if I just live like everybody else around me? Or we just start to keep our faith private. And in doing so, we have now taken the very thing, the gift that we had to, to give to the world. We have now taken that away and just become like everyone around us. These are kind of serious, aren't they? And I have to admit, how many times have I chosen to please somebody else or to avoid offending them instead of actually sharing the truth with them. And I'm not saying, folks, that we need to be aggressive crusaders beating people over the head with this thing. Come on, that's not Jesus. But we are looking for compassionate, intentional ways to, to, to consistently live out who He is and to be able to share who He is with other people. See, in order to remain a gospel-centered church, it will always be my goal that, that by God's wisdom and His grace that we root ourselves within this message and consistently find ways to speak relevantly to the culture about it. Paul said, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. He's not saying that he became like the culture in that. He's saying, I didn't compromise who I am. I didn't compromise my core. But I certainly looked for any ways I could to try to reach people where they are. 
And that will always be a natural outflow if the gospel is the, core, is the core of who we are. Amen? So do you guys know what evangelical means now? All right? You feel good about that? Do you see it's actually, if you ever get a chance to explain it to somebody, it's a chance to actually share the gospel with them. It is. But all that to say, we're about to take communion. And I want to remind us, um, before we take communion... What a Sri Lankan pastor uh, named D.T. Nile said. He said, Christianity is one beggar asking another beggar where to find bread. We are all about to come to this table. We do not come as better or more deserving of this table than one another. We are a family equally in need of God's grace, and equally receiving. And so as we come down, or really before we do, I just want to ask, if there's anyone in here that does not know Jesus, if you've never given your life to him and you would like to, I just want to lead you in a prayer. Not because the words I'm about to say are extra magical, but because the heart behind it is the power of God for salvation. So will you all just close your eyes just for a moment? And if you want to receive Christ, if you want to place your faith, your trust in Him, and you're not really sure how to do it, I just encourage you to repeat these words after me. Say, Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. For dying for my sin. I'm sorry for the ways that I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. I want to be with you. I want to know you. I want to learn how to be like you, starting now and forever. Amen. Whoever prayed that prayer, if that truly was your genuine heart, You're invited to this table. You have now given your life to Jesus and you belong to him. And if that's you and you prayed that prayer, I invite you, I encourage you, please come see me after the service is done. I'd love to pray with you and talk with you about what that means even further. But for now, we are going to take communion together. And so, ushers, if you guys could come.